Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving both the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, our hosts Anne and Nick are flying guestless in the studio and take a look at the year ahead for the psychedelics and cannabis spaces. 2022 is sure to be another transformational year for these two rapidly evolving industries, and Anne and Nick explore what they expect to see, including the continued expansion of access to psychedelic therapies, new data that will show the efficacy of these treatments for conditions like PTSD and addiction, as well as expectations on MNA activity. With 2022 also serving as an election year, and Nick also explore how the upcoming state and federal elections will play a role and how much ground the Democrats need to make up before they potentially cede these issues to the Republicans. So sit back and enjoy our conversation to kick off 2022. Happy New Year, Nick. Happy New Year, Anne. Great to see you. Great to see you, too, and to hear you. Um, We are recording this on uh, January 5th, 2022. We hope you all had a happy, healthy New Year. I know it was, I feel like um, we kind of got the crap beat out of us again from COVID, Um, but... But here we COVID, are. COVID, the snow, everything was going on over these last couple of weeks. Yeah, there's a lot happening. Um, and so we figured we would just jump on um, just to say hi to everyone, wish everyone a happy and a healthy, um, and go through just a couple of you know fun news articles that, um, that we've seen both in the psychedelic space and in the cannabis space. So um, we don't have a guest today, uh, but it'll be just Nick and I kind of chatting. So... Um, Nick, what? Let's start with psychedelics. Yeah, let's take a look at the the year that's upcoming. I think in one of our our past episodes, we we did kind of the retrospective, and I know we already talked about Wonderland and all the great things that happened at that conference. But one of the exciting things about psychedelics that I think we're really going to see is expanded access here in 2022. Um, actually, just today, the Canadian government, Health Canada, they announced um, an amendment to their special access program, which will now allow physicians to request access for their patients to get psychedelic treatments. So this means on it's going to be on a purely case-by-case basis, but when it's deemed that other therapies have failed or unsuitable or just not available in Canada, that physicians can then request access to things like MDMA, uh, psilocybin, LSD, um, to try and treat those specific uh, conditions within patients. And I think this really stands out to me, Anne, in that this is once again the Canadians beating the U.S. to the punch on really important legislation within drug policy. Yeah. I mean, we just can't get out of our own way, can we? Um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about this in the marijuana space, but, um, you know, Chris Crane wrote in his piece that it was a nothing burger of a year, um, for, for cannabis. Um, and I think it was exactly the opposite for psychedelics. It seems like, um, you know, psychedelics certainly had a moment last year. I mean, I think the, um, 
there was huge buzz um, and and excitement over the phase three um, trials uh, coming out from MAPS for their MDMA assisted uh, psychotherapy for um, PTSD, which was really promising and um, is just getting a, a ton of recognition. And, you know, people are, are just really excited about it. And I think, you know, it it makes sense for the Canadians to take this step. And, you know, I think um, the U.S. needs to um, pay more attention. <laughs> They're not going to, but it would be nice. We've seen this for a while now, you know, with the Therasil program that was um, helping people with end of life uh, conditions in Canada, you know, giving them access to psychedelics if they wanted it. And now and now with this, I think it's just I, I wonder how much of this in the psychedelic space versus cannabis is the fact that pharma companies are are interested in entering this space and and working with these companies and versus like the recreational aspect of right. cannabis. Right. I think that's right. I think, you know, it, even in in our work, um, you know, kind of in the PR and the communications world and investor world, it is it is very different. Um, I think, you know, we were talking about this the other day internally. A lot of the investors are the same, um, but, you know, taking it from a, a, a medical FDA approved approach just opens you up to a host of, of, you know, new investment. I mean, you know, people in the healthcare space aren't looking at cannabis because cannabis at this point is um, a consumer package good. Um, you know, as much as people do use it for medicine, um, you know, it's just not being sold that way or regulated that way. Um, so I think that there's, um, I, I, you know, I think it's, I think there's, it's, it'll be interesting to see where we are in 10 years, um, and to see how this played out and, you know, where, where we are with regards to, um, legalization and, um, you know, the recreational, which I'm quoting cause I don't really like that <laughs> word, <laughs> um, aspect of, of both of these. So I don't know. I think, um, you know, most of our clients, all of our clients are from the psychedelic side on the, the biotech space. And I just think it's, um, it's going to be, it's going to continue to be a really interesting year. I mean, we're privy to, um, a couple of exciting things happening, um, which we can talk about later in the year, but, um, you know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be the year of data too. Um, and oh, yeah. you, you know, I think that also, uh, yeah, the U S you know, federally is, slow. Um, but I think it is really interesting that, um, next week the NIH, um, is hosting a workshop on psychedelics as therapeutics. Um, and I mean, that is the, the national institutes of health, which is <laughs> last time I checked a U.S. government agency. So, um, you know, I, I think that's nothing but, but promising. And, and, you know, I think, I, I also think it's an, we need to expand that story being told of, oh, it's, it's this, you know, amazing, um, it has this amazing potential to help PTSD and veterans. Like it has so much more than that. And, you know, most people who have PTSD are not veterans. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, I think in the next year at plus, we need to expand that story of, yes, it can help, um, veterans who are, who are dealing and struggling with PTSD, but can it also help, you know, people who are struggling from PTSD from an accident or sexual assault or any kind of violence, um, and which is just a huge population. So I think that as we get used to hearing about, you know, mental health care and PTSD, we need to start bringing these other populations into the conversation. I think I think that's really interesting what you just brought up there in that the the conversation in the US largely does revolve around PTSD and veterans I feel when it comes to to the psychedelic space and I think that largely plays into like 
getting the federal government, getting government agencies on board, it's a great way to do that is by tying it into the military, yep. tying it into to helping our, our, Truly our makes it bipartisan. men and women in arms. Yeah, yeah that it, it's you're not going to find a lot of government officials that are like, no, we shouldn't do something for the veterans that might help their 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 overall health. And also there's a ton of money in the military sector. So doing research and different things like that, you could probably, you know, make a, a pretty penny and in, in, in doing it all there. So it doesn't surprise me that the way the U.S. is doing this is kind of that militaristic capitalistic focus. What I think is really interesting when you go back to comparing it with what Canada is doing is that I think Canada is, is the way that the if you read the uh, the amendments to the um, special access program is it really seems like it's going to be a great way to normalize this as a mental health treatment as, as something for people that do have that feeling of being at their wits end being completely lost the the medications and treatments that they've gone through aren't actually helping them and so normalizing that as an accessible therapeutic treatment for them is going to be great. And then going back to what you were saying about data, you know, we saw Compass Pathways at the end of 2021 re release their data, which got a lot of people yep. excited. And and now I think over <laughs> it the also first, really confused yeah. the market. But yes, <laughs> net net, it's exciting news. And I think, you know, investors need to look deeper and and really understand that. Um, and yeah, <laughs> look at it as we have data now. We have data that is showing that there is efficacy in this in this group. It's not going to be overnight kind of like, all right, now let's jump, jump, jump. But it, it's that that slow trickle of data is eventually going to start getting closer to a stream, into a flood, into we, we, we can see all this coming out. Like we know there's animal studies that have been been being worked on. We know that there's companies in phase two trials. As those move forward, we're going to start seeing this become just a lot more normalized. And I think with the way Canada's approaching it versus the way the U.S. is approaching it, I think there's a lot of benefits for especially Canadian patients to to really just get a lot of good out of what what's going on today. I, I think the other um, you know we're, we're always thinking about this from a communication standpoint um, and and looking at the human stories and and certainly that's what reporters want to hear. Um, but I also think that we we as a as the industry need to be really careful with um, this isn't a silver bullet for everything or for everyone. Um, and I think when the market sees you know like the compass data that came out like, you know, it may not be a relevant treatment for a certain population of people. And you know what? That's okay. If it can help, you know, 67% of people <laughs> who are suffering from PTSD, um, you know, uh, that is not a number you can shake a stick at. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm, that was the number from um, the, the MAPS uh, phase three study. So I didn't want to conflate the two there. But um you know, I think that we need to be really careful with what these compounds and molecules can do and what they can't do um, and, and be realistic about that and not be um, extolling virtues that may not necessarily be there. No, definitely. I think it was either David Nutt or Dr. Ben Sessa at the Wonderland conference that said that anybody that can tell you that believes that they can tell you that, you know, LSD can be the cure all for all these indications and stuff is full, full of liars. Like, because <laughs> right now we don't know. We're, we're still in the research phase of all of this, of figuring it out. But, you know, with what MAPS is doing with PTSD and MDMA is really exciting. We know that they're working with uh, some other groups like we saw in Numinous um, to, to see if MDMA could help with like TBI and other conditions like that so you know as as we get to know more that just feels really exciting about like where this industry's headed it's still going to be you know 
a uh, a slow year. In a some shit eyes. show. You a can say it. Show. Yeah. <laughs> we can curse. But, but what I think is interesting is that we're starting to see a lot more relationships, specifically coming out of Maps, with with some of these um, publicly listed companies. You know, like we saw Maps with Wisana announce a deal. We saw them announce something with with Numinous. I think uh, there's the Maps Find Ventures um, agreement there. Like that's really right, interesting and, that they're taking that approach. Yeah, and the 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 Maps Vine deal um, is really fascinating because um, for those who don't know, and 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 you know, we'll share some of these articles in the show notes, and I and I. I promise we will. I know I say that. We never do it, but we're going to do it, right, Nick? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got um, them all listed this time, so yes. I'm sure to add them. <laughs> uh, we have our shit together in 2022. Look at us. Um, so the MAPS Vine deal um, is a, a social impact special purpose vehicle, um, which means that it's it's this regenerative financing structure that will essentially infuse $70 million um, into patient ac- access infrastructure and research for MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD. So, um, you know, deals like the, a deal like this is really innovative. I mean, it's it's novel, like, like, like the press release says. Um, But it is also a really interesting way. I mean, we we talk about this a lot. You know, MAPS is um, is a a public, uh, MAPS is a nonprofit and their public benefit wholly owns a public benefit corporation, which is the drug development side of MAPS. Um, And, you know, just because they are a public benefit corporation doesn't mean they get stuff for free. So it still <laughs> costs a lot of money to um, to to take a drug um, and and take it to market and put it through the FDA um, and and to commercialization. So um, you know having having the the access to some of these um, lines of finance um, are, are really interesting, and I think we're going to see a lot more um, you know. Uh, a lot more interesting structured deals um, in the years to come, especially as we get closer to commercialization. Yeah, I I, I think you're 100 percent on the money there. I'm really interested in seeing what what happens in the U.S. Uh, on that. You know, like uh, the the just deal structures overall. Are we going to see that consolidation that we kind of saw after the the big first cannabis boom, where all these companies started to eat each other? Where in this part, it seems like you know, there's a lot of companies that have a lot of research touch points that may interconnect and does it make sense for them to kind of, you know, combine their efforts rather than keep going alone, uh, especially when you think about how many of them went public in the last year, year and a half. Like, that's a really hard thing to to keep up on. So, you know. Well, and it takes a really long time to bring a drug to market. So if you think about, you know, we, we know we have a lot of investors listening to, to this podcast, but, you know, the, the promises made by, um, you know, the, the cannabis market, you know, three years ago, um, you know, people are, were looking for revenue, for profits, for EBITDA, for, you know, all of these things that just aren't there in the, in the psychedelic space and the, and the biotech space, you know, people, you have to invest for the long haul. Um, and if you're doing this and you're trading, you know, you're trading it like a day trader, um, you're going to, you're going to get burned and you're ultimately not going to really help any of these companies. On that note, do, don't we have a virtual investor conference coming up? We do. <laughs> Insert details because Anne forgets them. <laughs> uh, we'll include that in the show notes we as well. We will include folks, that but, in the show notes. Um, but we have we, I, it's going to be two days, I'm hearing, um, because we have so many companies um, that uh, Phil uh, was able to get. So um, it's going to be a fascinating couple of days. Um, 
So we will insert. I think that. we'll probably lead off the the next episode with the details on. Yeah, that. let's do to get that. that on, on on everyone's radar. That there will be a virtual investor conference hosted by KCSA that will have some of your favorite psychedelics companies in it. To you, where you can listen and learn about what it is that they've been accomplishing and what they're hoping to accomplish over 2022. Um, one last thing before we go to cannabis, although this, I guess this kind of, this applies to cannabis too, but, um, uh, and Donahoe's little book club. Um, I just finished, um, about a month ago, Car Dr. Carl Hart's new book. Um, and it is called, um, drug use for grownups chasing Liberty in the land of fear. Um, and it is a fascinating book. If you are a fan of, um, of Dr. Hart, um, he definitely does not disappoint. Um, and it, it really, um, I can't recommend it highly enough because it really challenges, I, I mean, I'm 44. I grew up in the, the war on drugs and just say no and dare. And it, it, I had to reread sections and be like, it, it just challenges how you grew up and the narrative that, um, that, that we all learned as kids. I mean, at least my generation learned as kids. And, um, you know, I've had conversations since, you know, with people, I have, you know, law enforcement in my family and, you know, having, having these conversations are, um, you know, are contentious, respectful, but contentious. And, you know, I, I think what, what he, what he says and, you know, his, his general thesis is, um, is fascinating. And that, you know, that drug users are, are among us. <laughs> we are drug users. Um, and, and we have every right to use them in the pursuit of happiness. And that, um, you know, he, he really hangs that on, um, you know, on our basic, you know, civil liberties and, you know, he, he, the fact that, you know, the gateway drug situation, I, I even heard it, you know, in, in this past trip home, you know, people sit talking about gateway drugs and how ca cannabis is a gateway drug. Um, and, you know, see every, you know, every, every heroin addict, every cocaine addict has started with, with, uh, with cannabis. And it's just such a, a, a fallacy and the data just doesn't prove it. I mean, if, if cannabis led to, led to, other drugs, then wouldn't we all be other drug addicts? <laughs> like that just doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. I, I could wrap on about this book, um, a lot more, but I think it's, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. And we'll put a link into the And what show was notes. the title again? Um, the title again is drug use for grownups. Uh, and it is the subtitle is chasing Liberty in the land of fear. I would love to be a fly on the wall for the Donahoe holiday family conversation <laughs> on psychedelics. I am very intrigued. I on, mean, on it was, it was, to be fair, that. it was also done, um, after a few drinks had been had, Oh, um, even better. Yeah. So it was fun. <laughs> We're all still talking and we love each other. Um, and that's what, um, you know, the, but, but the thing is it generated a really interesting conversation that wouldn't have happened before. Um, and yeah, I don't you know, think five years ago y'all be talking yeah, about it. For uh, sure we would not. At the, for, at the and, dinner table. <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 yeah, maybe that's all I'll say. <laughs> well, well, we keeping on, on, on uh, well, keeping on book shout outs real quick, I just want to remind everyone that Amanda Seibert's book, The Little Book of Psychedelics, is going to be coming out uh, pretty soon. I don't believe that she's put out a release date, but we, we did talk to Amanda at the end of last year um, about her book and the research she was doing on that. And so we're, that's one that I'm particularly excited to, to see coming out. And so as soon as we have a date, we'll make sure to, to yes. tweet that out and let y'all know. Maybe we can do some kind of promotion with her. 
Ooh. and like do a couple signed giveaways. That'd be fun. I like that idea. Let's get Amanda on the horn. Dear Amanda. Uh, the other <laughs> thing is she has an awesome article in Forbes this week. Uh, actually, it was published last week, um, but we'll put it in the show notes. And it is on the women of um, MAPS Public Benefit Corporation. Um, I think there are so many drug companies that are not that are that are run by by white men. And um, this is not one of them. <laughs> and it is uh, a very successful one. So I encourage all of you guys to read that. Um, the MAPS Public Benefit Corporation is really, really doing some amazing work. And the, the women leading it are absolutely incredible. I, I do appreciate that, you know, women are being highlighted for the work that they're doing in this sector, like um, Dr. Celia Morgan, um, Dr. Rachel Yehuda, you know, different women that have been in the space for a while that I think have gotten overlooked not not be for any wrongdoing of like a uh, Dr. Carhart Harris or anything like that but it's just sometimes you know they get thrown into the background and I know that um Yeji Lee over at Insider is working on a piece um to highlight women and so I think that's a great way to be kicking off the new year is like let's make sure that this industry is inclusive let's make sure we're highlighting all this great work that's going on love it well and what a great transition Nick speaking of Yeji Lee <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about cannabis. Um, I know we, we had talked earlier and said that uh, our own Chris Crane uh, had a, an article published in Forbes saying it was kind of a ho-hum year. Um, but, you know, this this could be another year for more consolidation. And Yeji Lee has a really great piece um, that ran, I think, a couple weeks ago at this point um, that actually looked at um, the seven companies that she thinks are uh, ripe for uh, for eating each other <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, and, uh, we, we definitely see a couple of friends on that list. So it'll be really exciting to see what happens. Nick, any, if you were, if this were a horse race, <laughs> what, what would you bet on here? I mean, you know, the Kira Leafs, the Terrasins of the world, you know, um, was it Cresco? All those guys like true leave. Yeah, truly, it, they are they are swallowing everyone up, and you know I think we saw that rise of the MSO gave we saw all these companies that had all these wild business plans and we're gonna just do all these big things and now we're seeing that all kind of you know recenter itself and while it's great you know there's uh it, it it's great to see that there are going to be eventually like these big brands and stuff like you know i think it's inevitable that there's going to be that coca-cola those pepsis those johnson and johnsons of the cannabis world my fear is at what point do we start losing the the more craft um cannabis producer or craft like your local dispensary like being in arizona like i love it in that like there are so many dispensaries in the general area where i'm at there's um soul flower there's sunday goods shout out those guys um you know there's uh, the flower shop like i love being able to go to the local dispensary it has the local feel of everything that like i'm looking for versus like i've been to the Curly store and no knock on like the Curly store or anything but it definitely just does feel a little bit more corporatized and i don't know if that's as a, a cannabis user that's maybe not necessarily what i'm looking for where i love like where I love like when it comes to alcohol is being able to try out the different local craft brews that they're doing and making sure that I'm supporting the businesses that are investing in my own community. And so I think we're going to see these MSOs eat each other at some point. They're going to, it's going to be down to like three or four companies, I think. 
Um, and we're going to, I think, you know, out of everybody on these, on this list, like the, I think all of them have, could potentially be eaten up by the, by the time we're talking about this in December, 2022, like, it, I, it, like, what's yeah what's stopping them from wanting to for these executives to want to exit and get out let let the the guys with the multi-billion dollar valuations take over and run this and get a pretty penny out i mean the thing is uh, the market has been so so tough on these companies um you know i can see them waiting to to want you know a little bit more of a bump in their in their share price before um before they go you know, selling, but you know, well, here's uh, a question for you. Would banking reform help those companies like that, that are listed that are potential targets for acquisition? Would banking reform make it more palatable for them to want to continue operations because they're not having to jump through different loopholes and stuff? Would it actually help them where they can grow and they don't want to sell now to like a care leaf or a true leaf? Um, I, I feel like it, it would do nothing but help, but, uh, but I mean, I don't know the exit strategy for, <laughs> for a lot of these companies. So, you know, we'll I save that I, one for Chris. Uh, yeah. On yeah. Next. I feel like, you know, they, uh, that could help them, um, in terms of boosting their valuation for sure. Um, you know, will it make them want to, you know, to stay in the hustle versus like, you know, selling out for a really nice multiple? I don't know. Like I'm not the, we need, we need, yeah, we need, we need Chris on this call. Yeah. I think, it, it, yeah, on that, cause I'd love to know, like would banking reform help as much as like interstate commerce would help? Like I, I wonder without banking reform and companies could just ship their, their product across state lines, if that would make it, make it easier for them. Um, I don't know. Maybe. But, it's it's something that I think we're going to hear a ton about with it being an election year, though, right? It's it's something where Joe Biden, I feel, was has kind of lost a lot of his you know shine throughout the year. It was it was you think back to the rallying that Democrats were doing ahead of the Georgia um, special election that it was like you know you get Joe Biden in there it's going to mean you know reform on a number of fronts but it was really one of the big ones was cannabis that you know we're going to have democrats in all three branches of government we've seen these programs work on a state level across you know the midwest and the west it's coming east and it was like all right here's our guy here's what's going to happen and that didn't happen and you know i think there's two bullets that democrats keep looking for Joe Biden to do and it's cannabis and um uh student debt reform um and i it, he's not shown any indications of student debt reform so going into that 2022 election is the way that they're going to try and get votes by you know passing some type of legislation that'll make it more accessible for the common person to get cannabis yeah i mean I, like uh, and this i do encourage everyone to read um chris crane's uh, article in forbes again you know it's not surprising because Biden has never been um, a drug reform warrior. Um, you know, if anything, he, you know, he, it's a it's a struggle for him to. Um, it's just not his thing, and he's got a lot to deal with. And I, I, it it's just so frustrating because this is a good bipartisan win, or could be a really good bipartisan win, um, and uh, like it, it's just not going to happen. I mean, it's not going to happen. There's just, uh, you know, I, I think, I think 
the Democrats are going to get hammered um, in the midterms. And, you know, the Republicans have every opportunity to, to, to take this issue from the Democrats and to actually get something done, um, which would really suck. But you know what? The Democrats just can't get out of their own way. So maybe they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chuck Schumer, though, is I, all the time on Twitter. I hear him yelling like, we need cannabis reform now. And then you look at all the com the comments of people on that tweet. It's like, you are then the Senate it. majority leader. You, you <laughs> right. can do this. <laughs> like, right. let, Do something about it. Like, But I wonder how much of it is just like it's the names, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. For for decades, these people have been, become the mortal enemies of the right. And at this point you know, anything that they propose is going to be shot down. Yeah. Like it's going to be, they're going to have to scrape tooth and nail to do it. And it's like, at what point is, it's probably going to just take new leadership within the Democratic Party with, you know, different values than like what you were talking about. Joe Biden's never been a drug warrior. Right. Well, let's, if if Democrats are serious about this being an issue, get somebody in leadership that, that will approach it, that well, has maybe a little bit more shine on their name. And the, the other thing is, is as starts, starts bleh, as states start um, to actually make real money. I mean, the next story we want to talk about here is Illinois, um, which officially has generated almost $100 million more in tax revenue from adult use marijuana sales than from alcohol in 2021. And I mean, remember, 2021 was a shit year. There was a lot of people drinking. <laughs> um, so, you know, the fact that that it it is just blowing alcohol, um, you know, taxes out of the water, uh, tax revenue out of the water. I think, um, you know, the money side of it is a very, um, conservative Republican message. So, you know, this may be something that, that they can take the mantle up on because they're finding that, um, you know, with the right regulations in place and, you know, the state of Illinois hasn't fallen to drug lords and people aren't peddling marijuana to kids at school. They found that, <laughs> that the state is doing just fine. Thank you very much. And they're reaping the rewards right now. So, you know, who's to say that there, that, you know, a savvy younger Republican, um, you know, can't, can't, you know, take that and run with it and be like, yeah, Look, seeing Nancy Mace from South Carolina. Absolutely. Absolutely. With her, with her bill. Yeah. And, you know, I think Dan Crenshaw, the, the Texas yep. uh, House representative, has also expressed support for this. We've seen Rand Paul express support for this on the Senate side. So yep. There's definitely Republicans that are, are open to it. I mean, we, we're seeing states like Oklahoma and Arkansas start to consider it. And I know we'll get to that in a second. But <laughs> just going back to what you were talking about with Illinois and, and all the money that they've generated, there was a story in the Arizona Mirror um, at the end of last year that Arizona, in its first year of having both medical and recreational, had $1.1 billion in cannabis sales that added $175 million in tax revenue to the state. That's in like not even a full year because they didn't That's open up the, the recreational incredible. program until the end of January <clears throat> last year. So it's it's just incredible like how quickly that states that implement it. And, and I want to also emphasize that they don't like mess around with the introduction of rec. We saw Massachusetts <laughs> kind of play this and that. We're seeing New York and New Jersey, New Jersey play this is, and that with yep, all that. Yep. Illinois, Michigan, and Arizona are seeing great benefit to not trying to recreate the wheel when right. they went rec. They they turned it over on a day's notice. Illinois and Michigan on, on January 1st. Arizona with a press release on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> 
they were like, let's just let's, let's just, just do, do it. it. It's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's and fine. and like you said, nothing burned down. There's there's been you know the there's not weed sales going on at school. If anything, there's probably less weed sales going on at schools now that they don't actually need to go pick it up from their friends. So we're seeing it it, it work out. Um, but you know it there that's without. Not to say that there isn't other problems. I, I know Gavin Newsom at the end of the year for California had said that there needs to be some more relaxation on the taxes. So that's going to be, I think, a conversation that we're going to see overall throughout the year to make sure that California's program doesn't suffer and f- kind of fall back into that gray market. Um, I mean, it's still kind of dealings, I, I, it's, it's still three to one out here. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't seen actually the, the, the end of 2021 numbers, but I mean, the the illicit market is still eating the lunch of the legit market. So, I mean, something definitely needs to be done, but you know what? This is, these are steps in the right direction. Yeah. There's progress being made. And now it's like, how do we just kind of refine rather than completely overhaul these programs to make sure that they work, they get illegal uh, sales off the streets and get people going to stores and incentivize people to want to go to stores, not just with not having to go to jail, but and incentivize some of these like communities like um like princeton and like beverly hills like these are the communities where they're saying no no not in my backyard um and and i think it'll be it's just really interesting because um the data show that there is every spectrum of every kind of person that uses cannabis and you know the fact that that communities like this are are turning their nose up and and you know peddling really really dangerous tropes about drug use and who drug users are and you know what it will do to the community um, is is really harmful so I think that um, I think that that's going to be interesting too I'm, I know that um, just I think Princeton is having a some kind of community meeting uh, at the the state level tonight um, or at the city level tonight so um, that's why that's kind of um, in my brain right now. <laughs> See, I just know that all those people, especially all from the Northeast, are going to be out here in a couple of weeks for the Phoenix Golf Open. And you're going to all be staying in, in Scottsdale and Paradise Valley. And I can tell you on just about every other corner, you can find a weed shop out in those neighborhoods. And they're not going to have any problems having fun around all that. So I think if you're fine with it where you go on vacation, you're probably going to be fine with it once it's in your own neighborhood. You're all going to be fine. <laughs> Um, okay. Last story. Uh, is this the last story, Nick? Hang on. Hang I, on, hang I on. think this is cause this is the one that we're going to yes. kind of be following for the entire year. Right? Yes. Big it's... 10 cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's coming y'all. It's coming. It's 2022. I 2020 saw a bunch of cannabis legislation get passed. I think it was all but one state. Um, that had legal cannabis, I think, which is North Dakota on the ballot, um, passed for for recreational and adult use. And now we're seeing 2022 reform ballots um, start to get more conversation about it. And like you said, it's Big Ten country. It's that Big Ten Midwest um, area. We're going to see Ohio vote on legalization, Oklahoma vote on legalization and medical, Wyoming on decrim and medical, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, Missouri. They're, these are all states that, you know, c- 
could definitely benefit from tax revenues that they're seeing their neighboring states get. Uh, and I think Oklahoma is going to vote on adult use. They're, they've got yes. a medical program now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing state um, in the country, which is banana pants, thinking about how red that state is. Um, but, you know, there's money to be made. There is, there is. And Oklahoma's doing, they also have an amendment to kind of change some rules within the medical department. But um, if you guys go to uh, Normal, they have a really great rundown of all the legalization um, and uh, medical marijuana bills that are going to be on the ballots for this upcoming year. So make sure you check out Normal, N-O-R-M-L dot org. Um, to read up on all those, but I'm sure that Chris Crane is going to be having some articles in Forbes to talk about this here. And as as we start to get a sense, you know, throughout the year, I think we'll start to know like who's going to who's going to start legalizing. But there could very well be in that that Rust Belt area uh, a swing of legalization, you know, up from Arkansas to Ohio, up to Ohio and North Dakota. You know that that is huge. If you know, it's similar to the way we saw the West Coast all kind of go from Arizona to, to Washington. We're going to see it happen on the in the Midwest. It's hard, you know, watching revenue walk out of your state. <laughs> so to go to, you know, it's hard for Texas to watch, you know, people, you know, Trump over to Oklahoma. And, you know, Trump is a weird word that I use there. <laughs> travel? Let's use travel. <laughs> I mean, Ohio, they probably hated everybody driving up to Michigan. You yeah. know, that stayed, that stayed up north for them. I, there's a reason why the, the forefront dispensary on the border of Indiana and Illinois does so well. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a thing. All right. Yeah, well, <laughs> that will be something that we're watching. I think we should do this again um, in a couple months, Nick, and kind of see where we are because um, I enjoyed Definitely. this. This was fun. This is great. It's going to be a a fun year for psychedelics and cannabis. Absolutely. Um, But also we want to hear from you guys. So tell us what you want to hear. Um, Tell us who we should interview. We're always looking for um, new and fun guests to talk to. Um, And yeah, if you have any questions, greenrush at kcsa.com. And we'll do the official close (laughs) after this. That's the official close. That's the official close. Okay. (laughs) Got it. One take, Shay. One take. Bye. Cannabis! Cannabis!